go off the rails Don't you know it's time to raise our sails It's freedom like you never knew Don't need bags or a pass Say the word, I'll be there in a flash You could say my hat is off to you Hello and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 55 I'm your host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels And with me as always David McBurney, Family Master, you know me and it's been such a short time since our last episode. Don't lie to the people. They know when you're lying. That we only have a small number of questions this time. I and, can't believe that you would do this to these and good so, people. And so little has happened in the meantime. I, do, I don't even no know news. why you're lying at this I don't stage. know. So it's been a while. Uh, we've been... Uh, one of us has been busy with Destiny 2. Yeah, I have honestly no idea what that... like. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> the PC version is almost out. You've been so busy. That's true. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I don't really have a PC that can run that. Also, what purpose would that serve? What what could you possibly gain from that that you don't already have? Of course, I could always just go and play it on X-Bone. What? Why? <laughs> yeah, there's no reason. Uh, so... for the Switch port in three years. Yeah... I think that might actually kill you. So, Etrian Odyssey 5 is out, which is an awesome reminder of why dual-screen gaming is awesome. Yeah, but I also... It's not awesome enough to justify an entire another system when the entire point of the Switch was unifying Nintendo's development strategy. Yeah, I know, it's sad. It's just sad, because that series... Uh, even if, assumedly, it continues on, it won't be exactly the same. I'm really excited for when it, like asks you to turn the switch on its side <laughs> then <laughs> makes a pseudo dual screen setup yeah my my brain is still like confused by the switch because I keep thinking like oh you know you can just have it play on the TV and you draw the map on the tablet screen and I'm like it's not brain it's not the fucking Wii U <laughs> yes yeah, that's how they, how they are surviving <laughs> don't be the Wii U that's the lesson they learned yeah. They tried. Like, the Wii U, they... Like, the Wii U is what happens when you utterly f- refuse to allow, allow a piece of hardware to die. Yeah. Like, when you put everything behind it, no matter how ap- openly apathetic consumers are. And I respect it. They really wanted to make sure that people that had bought a Wii U would, like, not completely regret that decision. Yeah, I mean, you can even play Breath of the Wild on there. Yeah, there's a lot of wonderful games on it. Yep. Uh, Mar- a lot of them, a lot of which don't have ports. Mario 3D World, which is great. Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Yep. Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Trying to think of other RPGs. Um, oh, you wanted RPGs. Pap- well, um, Xenoblade Chronicles X. Paper Mario, what's it? Color Splash. Thank you, Color Splash. It's a beautiful game. It is absolutely gorgeous. Hey, speaking of Mario, we're probably both going to be utterly destroyed by Odyssey. So. Oh, oh, for sure. Uh, I, it's going to be a bloodbath. I almost guarantee you that the next episode we will probably be recording about while both playing Mario, and also possibly while both playing each other in uh, Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2. Oh, man. that's The Switch version, that's actually a pretty good port. Yeah. And also, I appreciate that for Switch is officially part of its title. 
if you look at the logo, it says Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2 for Switch. And if you, if you, uh, like, when you put the game in, that's what it says. It's on the side of the packaging. That is officially part of its name. That's funny. And hopefully at some point I'll stop calling it uh, Xenosaga. <laughs> Which I swear I would, I've done I more than like once. Crossover. Monolith, Monolith Soft has made a Dragon Ball Z game in the past. Really? Yeah, they made Dragon Ball Z Attack of the Sands for the DS. It's a very good RPG. Nice. Yeah, I need to play some more Dragon Ball games. The franchise I kind of lost touch with over the years. There's some good ones. Like, it's one of those things where you definitely don't need to play all of them, but there are ones that are like, oh, this is fun, I like this. Yeah. There's a wasn't there a, some kind of RPG on the 3DS recently? Uh, Fusion or something? Oh, Fusions, which is a tactical RPG. Tactical which, RPG, you say? As I recall, yes. And it has a bunch of like hypothetical fusions that never occurred in the original series, so you get like some fun nonsense. Excuse me, I have to go make an unrelated purchase. Oh, it's my show now. <laughs> Uh, well, I guess we should get to our questions at some point. Yeah. We, have, we always have that little section in the beginning where we pretend that, that people want to hear about what we've been up to. They probably do, maybe. Possibly. Possibly. Please tell us if you don't, we'll stop. <laughs> well, on that note, I'm going to talk about how I've been playing more uh, Mario and Rabbids Battle Kingdom. Kingdom Battle? Yes, whatever the hell it's called. But the it's, uh, even, it's five words, and one of them is and. Yeah. So the opera boss is absolutely hilarious. Probably the easiest boss fight in the game I've played, but an absolute joy to play. I feel like that's Freaking a hilarious. wise choice. I feel like that's a wise choice for an for a boss that's themed around singing because the song is really funny yeah. once, but if you have to listen to him singing over and over, it gets really annoying. Yeah, that's true. So, like, you want to balance that boss so that the joy of seeing him is not diminished by having to see him 50 times. Yeah. But the lyrics are pretty hilarious. Like, at one point, he's making fun of him for Mario Kart, talking about a spiny shell. Uh, what was one of the lines? Uh, it's a me, let's a go, the only words you know. Yeah, so. Which this I, I shit, didn't even catch the first time I heard it. This really sounds like a riff on. Like it's the it's this it, it really sounds like a family friendly riff on the Great Mighty Pooh from King from Conker's Bad for a Day. <laughs> Probably is. But it's one of those things where it's like, oh, it's good because like that was a good gimmick and no one else did it, so and the song that they produced is good, so <laughs> But yeah, Kingdom Battle continues to be great. I think the story content for that comes out in January. I believe so. The uh, challenge pack just came out. Yeah. It's a good game. It feels fun. complete as it is, but... Yep. Uh, I'm hoping for a sequel of some kind. Like, even if even if there's no Mario connection there and they do just, like, a rabbit, another Rabbids one, that'd be fine by me, too, because... Uh, plays real well. Yeah, I mean, and I'm looking forward to anything this team makes next at this point. Yeah, I think this was an Ubisoft Montpellier joint, but I can't remember. Uh, sure, but I... There's like 8 million Ubisoft, so... Yeah, I would love some more Ubisoft-Nintendo collaboration, say. I could see them doing it again, because this apparently did really well for both of them. 
I think it definitely seemed to resonate with the fans. And, you know, I think... Once they won them over. Based on some of Ubisoft's recent games, it seemed like they needed some some sort of creative boost. I don't know. I mean, Assassin's Creed Origins looks good. But it's okay, true. It was, it was Ubisoft Paris and Ubisoft Milan. Yeah, Origins. I've got a pre-order for the nice steel book that I probably should cancel because I'm not going to be able to play that game for a while and really shouldn't be spending that much money. On a franchise, I don't know that I'm going to be be able to get back into, as good as it does look. But I appreciate, like, Assassin's Creed for me, a lot of it lives and dies by, like, what setting they chose. And after a few that I was just sort of lukewarm on, each, Ancient Egypt is a real, like, oh man, I'm being... Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's just the pain, the pain of 3 is still there. 3's because, a really bad game. Because that was a setting I was so looking forward to. Yeah, they did not... They didn't pull it off. They did not pull it off. No. But yeah. They seem to... Like, that was, that was why, like, I know a lot of people that really liked Syndicate, and it seemed like it played fine, but I just did not care about yeah. Victorian, like, yeah. Industrial Revolution England. I mean, French Revolution, eh... Uh, yeah, I don't really want. I don't really want an interactive version of that. <laughs> Listen, what if they had made it an? What if they had, had? No, no. Think about it. What if they had made it a musical? Uh, yeah, I would have bought that. And just just replace it with just make the entire script Les Misérables, but with assassins. Les Misérables with assassins. I would buy. I would buy other people that game. Like, <laughs> please, my gift. Please to you. play this. I want more games as musicals. I feel like that's like there's only rhythm game like there's rhythm games and you occasionally see rhythm games merged with platformers. Speaking of Ubisoft, I was playing Rayman Legends on Switch and that has a couple of levels that are like set to music, so if you're following the beat you will do the level properly. Oh yeah, those are great. You kind of wish that there were more of them, but uh Well, I think platformers actually would be a good format for that. Oh, definitely. But I, I feel like musical, like, interspersing musical elements in a way that, like, I, I feel like those can enhance certain kinds of narratives that might otherwise be dry. It's just a thought. Makes sense to me. But yeah, let's, let's maybe get to a question. <laughs> Alright. Uh, question the first. Why are most video game en- endings... Uh, inconclusive and short. I always found it strange an RPG can be 50 hours and you're given a short 5 minute ending with very little explanation of what happens next. You feel RPG endings should give more conclusive should feel RPG endings should be more conclusive or are you fine with them not? There's some exceptions. Exceptions. I Uh, read that horribly but I'm sure everyone Yeah, I, I get the point. Uh, if I were to hazard a guess, I would say, like, there's a... Like, inconclusive is because they want to leave things open in a lot of games, in a lot yeah. of cases. Uh, like, short, because you prob- you oftentimes spend the least amount of money on the parts of the game that the person is the least likely to see, and... <laughs> the ending actually ranks-, ranks up there as one of the things that a player is least likely to see in a video game. That's true. Especially in a long RPG. Yeah. But, like, 
I, I, the exceptions I can immediately think of would be things like uh, Earthbound and Undertale both have very, like... Like, their endings are set up in a way where you're allowed to reconcile with the changed state of the world. And I think that was a, that's a very clever thing to do. Oh yeah, you need to finish Undertale, by the way. Um, I do. I'm, I'm, based on the achievements, I'm pretty close. It's only like eight hours long, anyway. Yeah. I still love... The, the best achievement ever is still... I've got lots of ideas for achievements. <laughs> like getting items. Or getting more items. Help, I'm running out of ideas. <laughs> it's got to be one of the easiest platinums by the look of it. Yeah, it also has my... Uh, it also has the best reversible cover in gaming history. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> for those who have not seen this somehow, if you reverse the Undertale cover on PS4 or Vita, you, get, you do get a different cover, but it just says, still Undertale. Oh... <laughs> <laughs> uh so good but, but yeah like ending like I, I feel I think I've ranted about this before but I feel like games and a lot of media really doesn't really have an idea of how to do falling action hmm. like a lot a lot a lot of games and other media have like essentially end at the climax you like the the climax is the last like it's usually the last boss fight and then the game has a very short, like, as you expected from having defeated the, like, having stopped the final boss, things have returned to the status quo. You don't need to see the status quo, therefore, here's a quick ending that shows that this is the case. Yeah. I mean... And it's one of those... It's pretty dissatisfying, really. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. <laughs> but I'm sure there are some people that like it, because, I mean, I'm just thinking of movies and it was this way in the book too the end to the lord of the rings which drags on a long way but it's kind the scouring of of the shire that they somehow never filmed oh yeah i forgot about that but i mean it really does kind of cover everything that happens at the end uh, which was one thing tolkien was really good at uh for that matter yeah covering the smallest details that's what happens when you get a guy who was trying to plot out lore for his own satisfaction and had no real interest in publishing it. <laughs> I did enjoy reading about, like, I think it was Christopher Tolkien talking about, like, half the reason The Hobbit's written down is, like, he's, like, asking his dad for a bedtime story, and his dad, like, gets some details inconsistent. He points it out, and, like, his dad just gets irritated and goes and writes something down. <laughs> but. Yeah, like that John Ronald Rule token had a had a lot of influence, but not really on the way. It, to think about it, what's interesting to me, I guess, is that everything about the world Tolkien created is hugely influential, but not actually the way he told stories. Yeah, like everyone tries to tell a Lord of the Rings story, and like has obvious debt to it but they don't tell them the same way that he did. No. But, yeah, like, I, I have my issues with, like, like I, as I've ranted about this before, I think games should embrace better falling action. I think the one of the ones that I mentioned last time was uh, Suicoden 2. The climax of that game is defeating Luca Blight. Yep. There's more stuff after it. 
There's a lot more stuff after. <laughs> yeah, there's there's still there's still probably about a quarter of the game left when you've killed Luca Blight. But like it's clear that the that having essentially decapitated the Empire, you have you have left it like struggling to continue existing because wars don't just end. They involve a lot of people jockeying to see if they can keep going. And essentially, ultimately, coming to the conclusion that, no, it's not possible to keep this effort going. <laughs> yes, Weekenden 2 is really a very, very smart and very... I, I can't even think of the, the best words to describe it, cause, but that game is freaking amazing. It's, it's written very differently from how a lot of games yeah. are. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a... Uh, like, like it, it is also, in some sense, a contrast to Suicoden 1, which really does just end on climax. Yeah, but it's just like, okay, you've killed the bad guy, but you've still got these two warring states, and you're not just going to have peace out of nowhere. It just doesn't yeah. work that way. And, but, you yeah. know, they try their own plan for peace, and... Yeah, they're jockeying to keep as much of themselves, like, trying to keep their country together and avoid, like, getting completely decimated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any other thoughts on this? Uh, I'm trying to, like, just think about other games that have a good ending like an, an ending that really sticks out like a lot of a lot of western rpgs sidestep this by the the game ends but just the game dumps you back yeah like it it might even acknowledge that you're in a post game state but it just leaves you to go putter around with side quests and such yeah i was, gonna, I, I was gonna say i was thinking of the disgaea games which i've always found to have not short endings that generally kind of um, leave you relatively satisfied. Yeah, those are those are also paced like anime, which means that they have a diff. They are not true. They're not going on like a like a lot of games are written in the way that movies are, and like I mentioned, movies have very little falling action yeah. in terms of like action movies, especially, which is what games most like to pattern themselves after. And a lot of those don't have a lot of falling action, but like, uh, Disgaea paces itself episodically like an anime, and so its its story structure tends to follow that more. Which is, it's, it's an interesting thing to observe, it's just that like, the, you can see what kind of ending a game will pursue, in part by the inspirations that obviously led to its structure. Sorry, that's getting really, really circular. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. You know, you know, I'm just thinking of randomly Mass Effect 2, which definitely has kind of like that uh, action movie ending. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it works for Mass Effect 2 in part because at the time you knew it wasn't done. Right. Did not work for Mass Effect 3. <laughs> yeah, because Mass Effect 3 has that ending, but has an ending where you know you aren't going to see these characters again and they didn't wrap up, it becomes very frustrating. Hmm. Whereas Mass Effect 2, 
was known to be the middle part of a trilogy, you knew you were going to see these characters again, so it didn't matter that they weren't completely wrapped up because it, they weren't done yet. But, like, with 3, when it just has... Like, quite aside from any other complaints you might have about the ending, the fact that it ends and it only ever tells you the fates of, like, two characters and, like, there's these really cataclysmic-looking problems that are like cataclysmic looking things happening but no real idea of what they actually did you're left with something that feels dissatisfying because like there's no there's nothing to there's no good way to reflect on what's actually happened you're just left with well well that you have what the well game gave that's you. that <laughs> that happened you're left with what the game gave you what the game gave you wasn't very much so your choices are to either be very angry about it or to try to come up with personal interpretations that will satisfy it. And depending upon how you approach fiction, like one of those, <laughs> you may be predisposed to one or the other. Yeah, that... Yeah. There's just so many better better ways they could do that. Like, I don't even mean... like in terms of what exactly happened and why the Reapers were there and whatnot. But there's just, like, they should have, have had scenes afterwards talking about, you know, how people react to Shepard's death. Spoilers. Um, Shepard's possible death. Double spoilers. Yeah. Just scenes of what those are characters are doing after, what happened to them. Or even something, I'm just thinking of, like, the, the end of... Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles where mm -hmm. kind of you beat the last boss and then you get like from a first person perspective um, I forget the character's name um, it's been a while since I played so I forget the names but you walk you ha you follow her walking around first person um, like uh, a town where everyone's like uh, I forget if it was one of if it's like a new town they built in the game or if it's one of the original towns, but anyway, it's a it's a town people are built rebuilding and whatnot, and you see all the old characters, and it was just like a satisfying way to end everything. Even if it was kind of just your typical, okay, everyone's okay, and it all worked out in the end, it's it still just wrapped things up in a nice way. And you don't you get none of that in Mass Effect. It just ends. You don't know what happened to any of your the character's friends or anything mm -hmm. like that. It's just... I feel like for games, and this is this is a bit of a philosophical idea, but especially for RPGs, like, one of the one of the things that appeals to people who care a lot about the stories in RPGs is they're spending some time living in that world. And so an ending is your chance to say goodbye. Like, so, like, one of the things that I think Persona does really well is that after after the initial release of 3, one of the things they added was the chance to literally say goodbye to every S-Link in the game. You get the chance to say goodbye to that world, and it makes the ending feel stronger. Because you get, like, I saw people complaining, like, I, I killed the final boss, and there's still another hour, and hour, two hours of game, because I'm sitting here watching the story finish itself off, and I'm sitting here talking to all of my S-Links. And it's like, yeah, because you just spent 90 hours here, and just cutting to the end cutscene, which the game also has, would be dissatisfying compared to being able to say goodbye to the game and its characters. Mm-hmm. 
So I was, uh, of course, then in Persona Three you get the long march to its horrible ending. <laughs> like Persona 3's issue is also just the fact that like the the vanilla ending is even more unsatisfying because it's li- it literally is just killed the final boss, jump cut to that. Yeah. Like you don't get to you don't get any like last uh, you don't get anything to mark all of the time you spent there. Like people, uh, one one thing that you notice about player psychology when you observe someone else playing a game is that a game doesn't have to acknowledge something too deeply, but car- players get really invested when a game acknowledges that they attempted something, even if it says no. Yeah. And that's one thing that, like, to bring up a non-RPG example, Metal Gear is really good at that. If you do something silly in Metal Gear, the game will acknowledge it, even if it didn't work. And so that's that's something that, like, and that, and that's sort of how the how a game's ending should be. It doesn't have to. You don't have to spend two uh, an hour with every character that you spent, but you do like the game needs to say like to give you just a little piece, something to work off of. Like this is where their life is now that it's done. Yeah, and I'll give you a good example. Um, Tales of the Abyss. Mm-hmm. So the so kind of pretty much cuts quickly to credits after you beat the final boss, and it's. There's a whole scene where it seems like the main character Luke has died or disappeared, and due to weird clone shenanigans or something. But anyway, so you, it goes quickly to credits, but then you get a nice post-credit scene where you see all the characters together a year later um, at the apparent grave for the main character. And although, yeah, the main character comes back there and, and there's a nice scene, you can see that everyone is doing well. Even if he didn't come back, just having that scene there of seeing the characters like later on and getting a feel for how they're doing do- really does a lot. Yeah, and and that's just one example of something that Mass Effect Three really should have, should have had. We're <laughs> still trying like to that. work through demons of this ending five yeah. years later. You you done wrong. You done wrong on us, Bioware. He'll never get the chance to do another one though, because Andromeda bombed real hard. Yeah. A little sad. I feel like Andromeda two probably would have been real special, but <sighs> was not meant to be. Well, not particularly. I, happy I have with to the admit, I'm EA not at all right interested now. in Anthem. I have to admit, I'm not even kind of interested in Anthem. But, yeah. I'm just done with EA in general. After shutting still... down Visceral, uh, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> Uh, I'm I, like I I'm sad that that happened. I'm not surprised, but I'm I'm sad that that happened. But I also can't claim that I was ever a fan of anything that Visceral produced. Man, I loved I, it. The original Dead Space. Yeah, I, I own Dead Space because I got it on Games with Gold at some stage, but I've never played it. So it's listen, so, I've got a lot of Resident Evil Four knockoffs. I know that's still my favorite survival horror, though. Just let me tell you, the Evil Within 2 is real good. Yeah. Are you too spooked? Are you too boogums? I don't know if that genre is for me anymore. <laughs> Much too boogums. Yeah. 
I'm kind of surprised. I usually hear people not be, being complaining that nothing scares them anymore. I'm not <laughs> used to something like I can't play games because they scare me too much now. Oh no, shit scares. Dead Space scared the the f out of me. <laughs> Scare Dead Space actually broke you. Yeah. Well, I was like, hey, I'm gonna play this game by myself because this was before I had kids. Yeah. While my wife is working nights in the dark, alone in my house. That reminds me that they did a Dead Space game for iOS and Android that I relies that. I that, that relies on a pseudo twin stick control scheme. It's very strange. At the time, it was a very impressive game. It was quite decent. Very hard to control, but it was quite decent. Yeah, like it cried out for an actual controller. Yeah. But like, given its time, it was one of the highest budget looking mobile games I'd ever played. And then they did one for Mass Effect as well that I never played. I want to say that one's top down and much cheaper looking. I think it was. I think it was like the Dead Space one actually. I think it even used the same engine. Huh. I must have missed that one. But yeah, I guess we should move on to another question. We're not talking about ending. Yeah. Unless we're talking yeah. about the ending of a game studio. Yeah, we're just gonna. It does. It does yeah. feel important to mark the passing of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will remember them as the company that made sure that there is a version of just the Inferno portion of Divine of the Divine Comedy that can be purchased with a really tacky video game cover on top of it. <laughs> Alright. Um, so next question from Budai. Let's scroll down to Gaijin's. Why do you think Nintendo is reluctant to make a more traditional Mario RPG game similar to the first one, but with modern graphics? Is it only paper and Saga series, or nothing else? Um, well, like part of it is that like they considered the original Paper Mario to be Super Mario RPG two. Yeah. Like they're not even that dissimilar in terms of actual concepts and like gameplay. It's just, they moved it more to, like, I feel like there is a portion of Nintendo that feels a Mario RPG needs to be uniquely Mario. Yeah. And, like, Super Mario RPG is moving towards that, but it also has a lot of squarism. It's also worth noting that uh, original Mario RPG, uh, like, they can't use that name for a specific reason because yeah. Square co-owns it, but... I mean, that game is... Uh... Yeah, it relies a lot more on original characters, whereas the newer ones, it there's a lot more. There are original characters, but the entire internet cries out for some random puppet nerd. Uh, yeah, but I mean, the the original characters in the newer Mario RPGs fit fit better in the Mario universe. Like you have, uh, like they're almost always like Mario creatures. Yeah, like, like there's Goombas and stuff like that. I love the kind like. Paper Mario immediately wins you over with the concept of a Goomba who is so undeterred by Mario's relentless Goomba murder that he honestly idolizes Mario and is named after him. Yeah, and I'm going to go probably with possibly an unfamiliar, unpopular opinion here and say that Paper Mario Thousand Year Door is better than Mario RPG. I'm going to make By an argument quite a wide probably margin. more enemies than that, and I'm going to say Paper Mario 1 is better than Thousand Year Door. Oh my god, you're terribly wrong. Listen, here's here's my argument. 
I really enjoy Mario RPGs, and I do enjoy the writing in them, but I feel like they, the more space they have to play, the more self-indulgent they tend to get. Hmm. And there's only so much I can take of, like... I remember renting Mario RPG, like, Mar- Thousand Year Door, and trying to get through it, because, like, I couldn't buy it. I didn't have the money, so, I, like, I rented it. I rented it several times, and I thought I was nearly done with it. And I got to the point in, like, Chapter 8, where the game is like, Send for like the third time sends you all through the old areas so that you can find I think it was like a bomb this time and it's just like video game seriously please I understand that you're doing part of this is you doing a joke and part of this is you trying to extend the playtime so you can advertise more but please respect my time I've only got so much time Whereas Paper Mario on the N64, because of cartridge limitations, probably it comes in at a fairly lean, like, 20, 25 hours. Well, I haven't actually finished the first one, so I can't comment further on that. But yeah, like, they're both good games. And then, like, the later ones are, like, Mario and Luigi is basically all that Alpha Team does, and I think that there's, like, hesitation both from them and from Nintendo to, like, hand them to do off to do something else. And I want to love that series, but first game was awesome. Yeah, I'm glad that's a, that's been remade. More people can play yeah. it. It's still the best one. Most recent one I'm playing through. Good times. Um, it's, it's got its issues, but it's fine. Partners it's in time is a piece of shit. Like it's it's dreadful. I have yeah. never felt more that I would not that I did not care about a franchise that I thought I was going to love by a second game. Like. And it's not... I can't even pinpoint what is wrong with, yeah, part, with Partners in Time. Like, it just some didn't of work. It, <laughs> like, some of it is the structure. that It's a much more disjointed game than Superstar Saga. Some of it is just that it's too... Like, four characters is too many to keep track of in a, in a Mario and Luigi battle. There's just too much going on. Some of it is just that, like... It's just not very... What's happening just isn't very interesting. No. <laughs> like, it's, it's a game where, like... If you pointed, if you asked me to tell you why do you hate this, I would have to like I would have to write a dissertation explaining everything <laughs> I thought was wrong with it. Because like no one thing is so egregiously wrong that it justifies my hate. It is only when you see the game in aggregate and you understand that it makes so many small mistakes that you realize mm-hmm. that like it it destroyed itself. And then when you still play it all the way to the end and get stuck in the last boss and wonder, why am I wasting my time with this? This sounds like a really specific story. No, it's just I made it all the way to the last boss and I was like, why am I doing this? And I stopped there and that was that. But yeah, and Bowser's Inside Story is one of those. Is what the game that codified to me the idea that I enjoy Mario RPG writing, but I can't take how self-indulgent it can get. Like, yeah. it's like that game just never shuts up. Well, the writing on Mario Luigi was spot on, though. Yeah, the first one's really good because again, it doesn't like it knows when to get out of the way. Yeah. It is interesting to me that I heard recently that apparently, like, Mario and Luigi... The idea of Mario and Luigi being two... Like, they... It was essentially Miyamoto coming to Alpha Team and saying, like, if you're going to focus on just the Mario Brothers, how about you assign each of them to a button? Hmm. 
And that, like, that was a gimmick that was perfect for Mario and Luigi. Like, that gave it an identity other than being just an, a Mario RPG you could have on a handheld. But, but, sir, now on the DS, we have four face buttons. And they, like, they've, four. Never up, they've never come up with a satisfactory response to that crisis of confidence in their game design that that has created. They have no idea what to do in response to that other than, like, we need to use these other buttons to control more characters. <laughs> and it's like, we're five and a half games in, I'm counting the remake as a half game, and it's like, I think you guys need to go back and rethink this more fundamentally because there's you've you've run yourself out of ideas. Yeah. I think you need to go back to the two characters and think, okay, what interesting things can we do with just those two characters? Nothing yeah, else. Thing, that, that's it. One thing that I think that Superstar Saga does that none of the others do, I think even the remake might remove this, is the ability to swap who's in front. Yeah. Like... And they... Like, early in the game, they use that for comedy because you'll get an, an item... Or, or, like, an ability that allows you to use, uh, like, one of... You'll, you'll get, like, a weapon. Like, you'll get the hammers, or you'll get, uh, like, a, like, fireball power or whatever. And, like, before they have a way to use that on the map, you can still use it on the other brother, and they'll get really pissed off at each other. It's really funny, actually, because, like, it's the only time that you see a Mario game where, like... The the Mario Brothers are interacting like brothers do, which is to say, like, occasionally doing things not because there's a real reason to, but just to sort of bug each other. <laughs> so it's like, one of them hits the other over the head with a hammer, and, like, the other one just turns around and just, like, basically looks like he's about to punch him. <laughs> it's really good. Like, it's really charming when it does that, and you kind yeah. of wish it would, it would do that again. But... And that's why I, I continue to advocate for Wario and Waluigi partners in crime. That would be so good. Like, it could even take it. Like, I don't actually like the Wario Land games very much, but one of the things it could take in from Wario Land is that, like, those games use the idea of, like, statuses being applied to Wario being how he gets around. <laughs> so, like, add the, add the abuse element that you suddenly have because Wario and Waluigi don't have to particularly care about each other's well being. Oh, that would and, be so good. Yeah, and, like, combine that with, like, really go nuts with the idea of them being able to, like, use each other in a really destructive fashion, like, change each other's status by interacting with them. Sorry, I just really think that this could be really neat. No, it's fine. And, you know, one other thing I think they should also do, and this is from my time with uh, Paper Jam, which is a good game, you know, outside of some occasional yeah. issues with having three characters in battle. Um, I think they need to f focus on their original characters more. Because, sure. you know, you look at Mario and Luigi, that had some really cool, unique original characters. The ridiculous Bean Bean Kingdom? Yeah, and I'm looking at Paper Jam, and it's just like the standard Mario cast. Like, you see, like, the, the Koopa Kids in a Mario RPG, which is neat. But it's just like all Bowser Jr. and Bowser, and it's, and it's like you. And I'm looking at this like you're doing this crossover. Where where are the original characters from Paper Mario? Uh, like where it, where really are the original characters story. from Mario and Luigi? Even like 
it, it felt like this massive missed opportunity. Like, why do I? I, I, I am a bit baffled on why do do this cool crossover and not like actually do a crossover. Like, it's even weird because like, so they have a bunch of toads. And like they're all like they're all identical, and the game seems to think that it's better to mine the joke that they're identical than give them any sort of identifiable personality. Mm. And that's another thing because it's like you're sleepwalking through a game where ninety percent of the cast is acknowledging their unimportance. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a shame because, like I said, the game is good. A lot of the writing There's is some really good. Writing good. it occasionally it knows to occasionally stop talking, but. It's a really good game that could have been absolutely brilliant if it actually took full advantage of the original characters and a lot of the other elements of both series. Yeah. It's kind of sad. Like, uh, everyone's favorite villain from the first game? Why is he not in this crossover? <laughs> I don't understand. Listen, I'm fine with Fawful going away forever. Nah, he's got Fawful's got to be in everything. I got I got too sick of internet types just saying I have fury over and over. Yeah, but it was really great <laughs> when it was original. Like it, I would be fine with more like silly like giving original villains are fine. I think that like I, carry on the spirit of Fawful and make original villains. I guess. Okay, but yeah, there's there's a thing right there. There's no. They didn't even come up with new characters for this game, really. Yeah, the most that like they they have like the Bowsers and Bowser Juniors interacting, and that's about and that's I, about the extent of Paper Jam, which is one of the best parts, I must oh, say. Yeah. But yeah, and here's they don't about, go overboard with it like they could have. And know. one thing that would have been cool is you could have how about bring the hilarious Paper Luigi in, who is like inc- incredibly and hilariously pathetic. <laughs> Except for Thousand Year Door, where he has like this weird parallel adventure that I occasionally see people talking. I occasionally see people talking about wanting uh, like a game that like told that, and all I can think is like, dude, it would not be anywhere near as good of a joke if you actually saw what was happening. Also, I always assumed that he just made up those stories. That would be pretty good. That that would that was always my reading of that when I played that game was oh he's just making up making the shit up (laughs) to not look pathetic. I like how I like how Thousand Year Door is Th- Thousand Year Door is one of the most recent games I can think of to have optional party an optional party member in an RPG. Who was the ar- optional party member? I believe Miss Mouse. Okay. Uh, that was that was the Paper Mario game that had like the the wrestling base boss, right? Yeah. Okay. The glitch pit. For some reason, I kept thinking that might be. Uh, Super Paper Mario. Nah, nah. But I think that was the one. That's with, the. That's the one with the nerdy boss, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Super Paper Mario is where they, where like, someone on the staff decided that deliberately wasting your time was their favorite joke in the game. <laughs> and like sometimes it works, but also some like you can maybe do that once a game, maybe. <laughs> But once you get to more than... Like, the first time it happens in Super Paper Mario is, like, the treadmill thing, and that's really funny. (laughs) But then you do... But when you do it again, it's like, guys, I get it. I get it. The joke is you're wasting my time. I I still love that game, though. 
Yeah, no, Super Paper Mario, I think, is underrated. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, we went to... I don't even... <laughs> this is just, like, Mario RPGs in general, and we oh, had a lot of like, That's fine. But... Like Super Mario RPG 2. Uh, I don't know. If they could get Square to make it, it might be kind of interesting, but... Maybe, but... I don't think there's really much impetus to ever do so, and, like, the people that made Mario RPG don't really work there anymore. And Nintendo... It's not really the company that wants to just make the standard thing. Yeah, like, that's a thing that I think gets kind of downplayed a lot, is the idea of, like, why don't they just make the same thing again? And it's just, like... Nintendo doesn't do that. Like, creatively, a lot of people don't want to do that. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things where, like... If you... I think that that's one of the reasons that, like, Star Fox never comes back the way it used to be, is that, like... Miyamoto looks at it, and he's the one that would be directing it, and the way he sees it is like, but like, w- how would I make a better version of a rail shooter, a standard rail shooter, than Star Fox 64? And I have to admit, I don't know. <laughs> but like, I think that I think that shows up sometimes, just like in in a company like Nintendo, where like they're very focused on like create an, a concept and then. If it fits a game design, you can. If it fits an existing IP, add it and like use that IP. But if not, don't worry. Like, I feel like that's one of those things where, like, that's why you don't really see them pursue like doing just a here's the same but more so sequels. Yeah. Because it's just like, and. and I'm sure that for a lot of people that make games, just making another thing again is kind of tedious and frustrating. And I think that's probably why uh, Kamiya, if I'm pronouncing his name right... Hideki Kamiya? Yes. His ne- I don't think he's ever worked on the sequels to any of these games, is that right? Uh, I don't think he's never, but he's usually working in a different position. Let's see. I'm going down his game list in my head. Didn't work so, on Bayonetta 2. Uh, he, yeah, he supervised it in some fashion, but he was not the director like he was with Bayonetta 1. He did not... He was not the lead on Beautiful Joe 2. He was not involved at all with Okami Dan, because, naturally. Uh, let's see. Like, it's one of those things, like... Sometimes you make a game and you don't want, like, you might want to see a sequel, but you, maybe you don't want to make, like, that's true of anything. Like, you don't want to be burdened with making something that ha- is beholden to what you've already created. Yeah. I remember when I was at, I was at a crowdfunding panel at PAX, and I ta- I may have brought this up last episode, but I, I asked a question at the uh, end where, because one of the people, one of the, a couple of the people there were people at Obsidian who were working on Pillars of Eternity 2. And one thing that I felt was an interesting, uh, a worthwhile ask was, do you ever feel frustrated that you're, like, cr- you're crowdfunding games that are sequels to old games? And I'm sure you've got all sorts of things that you want to fix about the old games, things that you think could be made better. Do you ever feel frustrated or like feel like you have to hold back what you're, what you're making because some, what part of what they bought was something that feels like something from 20 years ago Hmm. and they were like that's a good question (laughs) and they responded with like yeah like essentially like not in not in an accusatory way but essentially the way they put it was yeah there were things we wanted to do and we want to do and we know that like 
and like we have ideas of how to do them, but like the audience paid for something that plays like an Infinity Engine game, so we sort of have to like dial back the sort of changes we want to make. So like now that we're doing Pillars of Eternity two, we can make some changes that will, hmm. you know, that we can institute some of those changes we wanted to make because now that we have the baseline, we can iterate away from that and sort of improve those things that we always thought could be improved. But, like, that's one of those things where, like, when you're that beholden to audience, like, a, a lot of people, like, like it, it draws back to that uneasy place that games have where they're, like, their artistic creation but their entertainment product. And it's so, like, you have, like, you have the unpleasable expectations of, like, tons of people where it's, like, some of them really do just want, I want more of what I had. Like, I like what I had. And then you've got people that want a comp- an experience that makes them feel like they felt the first time they experienced something, where it's hmm. like, I want to feel the rush of feeling something new that can't be had by having an iteration on the old. And then, it's... Like, it's a really complicated business, and certainly, like, it's true for the creator. Like, sometimes you don't really have much more to do with that concept. It's not that interesting to you. Hmm. But then, like, sometimes you get someone like... Uh, what you call him... Koji Igarashi, who seems very interested in continuing to iterate on what it means to make a exploratory uh, platformer, an Ecovania type thing. So. It's it's a lot in the people that make it. Like yeah. maybe someone at Alpha Dream really thinks that they still have ideas they want to pursue with uh, like this Mario and Luigi concept and ways to try to drag it, to iterate on it and like restyle it a little bit. Like I. I might disagree with them, but I'm I'm not really in a position to tell them they're I, wrong. I think there's a lot of space left to work with there, but like I said, I, I, I don't think they've done the best job in going in the right direction with that. Like, I, I guess one thing... Uh, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. you no, can, it's fine. I, I guess one thing that sticks out to me is that every sequel to Mario & Luigi feels like a first sequel. Every sequel to it feels like they are going back to what they knew worked in the first one and then trying to build up from there. It's never felt like they've uh, cumulatively built up from a prior sequel. Yeah. And so and it so it almost feels like you're playing a series of prototypes for what is the actual Mario and Luigi 2. And like they they still don't feel like they've hit upon something that really meaningfully adds another dimension to that gameplay or really expands what that game was I guess that's how I feel every time I play a new one anyway like sometimes they're good but like they never feel like they've meaningfully made a game that really surpasses what they've done before yeah I think they need to look more at what Paper Mario has done well and I think if they do that, they can probably hit with a much better Mario Luigi sequel. Because if you look at the, the what, what I've always loved about the Paper Mario series is, although it certainly feels very Mario, they do new characters, they do new locations, and it, it feels a lot fresher. Like you look at Super Paper Mario, there's no doubt that there's all there's like all the classic Mario characters there. You even get to play as Bowser. Uh, but there's a lot more original characters and levels, and it's it's its own 
it's its own thing, but it's also Mario. Whereas I always play the Mario and Luigi games, then it just feels I don't want to say stale, but it just it feels like a Mario platformer as an RPG, like the same kind of levels, the same kind of enemies. It doesn't feel like its own thing. Does that make any yeah. sense? Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, it, it feels like they they can't figure out a, an identity for it. Right. So it, it, it's left with the identity that it, is, it has inherited. Yeah, whereas Paper Mario has this incredible identity and this incredible, like, th- the games are just so creative. And I, mean, I know part of that's kind of just the whole paper theme, but and part of it's just that the... the Whoever, whoever's in charge of making those games, they just do more interesting things. Like even even when Bowser is the ultimate villain in those games, they still do some pretty cool things. Yeah. Like it's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of room to explore here. I I feel like Mario RPGs. One of the things they've successfully shown over these years is that none of them has to be beholden to the idea of. Like what? What is a Mario RPG? It's it's a game that uses a vocabulary you don't often see in RPGs, like a, a platformer in Mario vocabulary to augment an RPG. Yeah. And so, like, and they've stretched that in many different directions. There have been many different ideas of what that means, yeah. and I think that that's something to be praised. And if we if we want to count um, Battle Kingdom in this RPG discussion, Kingdom Battle, yeah. I would, I would absolutely count that. It is a Mario RPG. Why do I keep calling it Battle Kingdom? Maybe you're thinking of Battle Chaser. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, Uh, yeah, that that does some pretty. I would absolutely count that, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) And that. Yeah, like that has a lot of uh, that has a lot of great Bowser Jr. in it as well. Yeah, but that's that's another like here's another take on Mario concepts augmenting RPG concepts. Yeah. And what's great to me about that one is it like doesn't use any uh, Mario enemies really. Yeah, it's pretty much all rabbits. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like rabbits taking on kind of the role of a lot of Mario enemies in a lot of cases. Yeah, like horrifying, really bow- <laughs> horrifying yeah. Donkey Kong rabbit. <laughs> yeah, and there's like a rabbit wearing a, uh, a plant costume, which is a good one. Lots of good stuff. Yeah, but yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways to take this because like the con they they came up with a concept that the identity sort of wraps around rather than a set of mechanics. Yeah. And so like I wouldn't put it past them to one day like make a throwback that tries to like make something a little more in step with Super Mario RPG, but I'm also not really champing at the bit for it either. Yeah. Well, that was a lot to talk about. Well, I also want people to stop bashing Paper Mario for doing more interesting things than Mario and Luigi. Sorry. I I appreciate that they looked at, like, Paper Mario 1 and Thousand Year Door, which are fairly similar games. But, like, looking at them and realizing that they had done what they needed to do with that structure and deciding to reinvent themselves. Yeah. I, I mean, I know Sticker Star had some issues as much as I like it, but at least they tried something different. It's a, it's they a really tried. interesting game. Yeah. And really the issues there aren't even around the structure, they're around making some puzzles way too obtuse. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because I really think the the general structure of that game is really good. Yeah, very interesting. It's a, it's it's like nothing you've played before. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, but yeah, I think we've dug into that Mario question pretty well. Yeah. Alright, let's take a look at Gaijin's post here. Okay. Uh, Yakuza movie. That thing was hilarious. I forgot we even talked about that. Never played the game, though. I did go through the TGS demo of 6. It had a surprisingly accurate version of uh, Fuka's Nakasu District in there. I probably I'm going to go look at this so that I can... Probably horribly mispronounce that, but that's fine. I will mispronounce it, but... Probably slightly less so. <laughs> they did show the old Dragon Warrior anime on network TV back in the day. Maybe 13 episodes of it chopped up and rearranged if my memories are accurate. I certainly recall discrepancies when I watched the entire thing on DVD over here. Sase-san actually has some interesting parallels to the comic strip Blondie. In the beginning, it was actually a pretty forward-looking feminist piece about a young married woman and her family situation in the 1950s. Over the decades, the culture of Japan finally outstrapped the comic strip, and Sase-san became the symbol of a happier, idyllic time in the middle of the uh, Showa, Showa? Showa. Showa era, even as it tried to continue addressing modern social situations. So to answer the question, it survives on a combination of friendly social commentary and massive nostalgia. It's interesting to hear from someone that would actually have like context for having looked at it, because people people in the West, like in the anime nerd fandom, are aware it exists, but have no real place for what Sazai-san is. <laughs> so... Ben Franklin's revolutionary lightning bolt. His lightning rod strikes the earth and thence arises George Washington sitting upon his proud horse. They then go to vanquish the British. Franklin, Washington, and the horse. I play that. <laughs> what is this referring, referring I feel to? like this is probably referring to a discussion we don't actually recall happening because it was over a month ago. <laughs> uh, still amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I want... Whatever and, that was, it's justified entirely by bringing up that concept. And the horse. <laughs> but yeah, uh, oh man. Yeah, I, I've watched a bit of, I think it's Legend of Hero Abel was the Dragon Quest anime. But yeah, that's probably what brought it up. Yeah, there is a dub. I've seen some of the dub. Uh, a handful of episodes got localized, I believe. You are correct in that they were just randomly chopped up and shown in an order that did not reflect when they were <laughs> in the Japanese show. And yeah, the Yakuza movie is basically like if you've ever seen a Takashi Miike flick, it's very much his work, but with a Yakuza skin. Hmm. So like it does a lot of things that are very, but so like you can tell that it is a Miike movie that happens to be based on Yakuza rather than a Yakuza movie that happens to be directed by Takashi Miike. <laughs> a lot of silly, weird stuff happens in there. A lot of silly, weird stuff happens in there. It's a strange film, but I'm sure I brought this up back when uh, back when the, the discussions he's commenting on. Yeah, I think so. Up. Uh, All right. Ugh. Moving on, we have another question from Budai. What do you think about the statement where Nintendo said it would cease to exist before it went third party? Not that I think it's going to happen, but it's not a stance most companies would take. Is, Nin 
Nintendo identity and uniqueness incompatible with being a third party. Well, first of all, I don't think they would just cease to exist because somebody would buy them before they cease to exist. Uh, like, they wouldn't exist much... in a... I, I think it's fair to argue they would not exist in a meaningful fashion. They would not exist in the same way they do now. I mean, yeah, like, true. look at what happened to Sega. Yeah. Like, the Sega of today is pretty much unrecognizable from the Sega of when they were a console manufacturer. Yeah, uh, I think one of the important things, one of the things to think of here is being able to control exactly what your console is gives you a lot of freedom in the way you make your games. Yeah, it's also just like Nintendo is known for going really out there, like real nutso with doing like strange stuff. They can get away with, like they have like a giant R&D division that makes, like, weird peripherals that might only get used in one game, or might never come out. Yeah. And, like, that's something that allows them to make strange concepts that they could not make. Like, justifying that kind of R&D division as a game, div as a third party, would be basically impossible. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can see that any time a company goes real hard on making a peripheral that only they are interested in. It ends poorly. R.I.P. THQ. R.I.P. the entire music game industry. And I mean, one of the important things that they can do, just in general, is um, they very carefully control their IP. Like, extremely carefully. And uh, I think that works hand-in-hand hand with selling hardware. Mm. Like, when you only get, like, a major new Mario game every... Uh, when was the last one? Did 3D console World generation? Come? Yeah, pretty much every console generation. Um, makes it a bit easier to sell your hardware. Yeah. Like, if they, if they had no hardware that they were trying to sell you on, it would... Like, logistically, their business model would have to shift to they need to sell you as many game as possible, and so you need to keep buying. Like, you, they can't rely on the idea that you keep buying the old version of game because, like, that version is still good. They have to rely on the idea of you buy the new game because that's the only time you'll buy a significant number of it. Yeah. But, uh, like... Now I'm just thinking of like the hall of like weird Nintendo peripherals that have never actually come out but have been shown off to the public, which is probably like a tiny fraction of the ones that have been like prototyped that never were even shown because they just didn't decide didn't uh, decide to do anything with them. Yeah. Like I remember reading about like I remember seeing at E3 them planning a monitor for the GameCube that you would plug into it and it would like just attached to the GameCube and you'd be able to play it, but, like, the thing that they apparently didn't show at E3 was that it was a 3D screen. <laughs> but it was so prohibitively expensive, it would have never made sense to release, so they didn't bother. <laughs> but, like, but then, like, they had a Game Boy Advance successor to the Game Boy camera that was designed to work with a game that never came out called Stage Debut. The hell? I believe, I believe they even trademarked its name. It was to be called The Game Eye. But, like, they just, like, they killed stage debut. There was no more need for the game eye, so the game eye went away. Like, weird stuff that, like, no one else would ever have done. Like, here, the, we made the DK bongos. What are we going to use them for? Let's make them, let's make a platformer. 
Also, let's fund a pinball game that's also a real-time strategy game, where the second player can put the bong- the bongos in and use the bongo beat to boost morale of your pinball people. <laughs> You've never played Odama. You aren't sure that I didn't just make Odama up, but that's Odama. It's real. But, like... They like they're they are at a luxury in that sense that they are able to like really throw their weight behind ideas that wouldn't get much play. Like, yeah, because if they were third party and they approached Sony with, "Hey, we want to make a bongo per- peripheral," they'd be like, "Yeah, no, we're not going to help you. <laughs> yeah, like, you can try." <laughs> like th- this also did remind me that I did some looking and found a. Uh, book from just after the original Xbox came out called Opening the Xbox and was interested to find out that apparently it uh, it apparently had a (laughs) man, uh, they they apparently had an offer on the table from Microsoft to just buy Nintendo frightening and the number on that is terrifying, like the number that they turned down is nuts the number, according to the sources I could find, said about $25 billion. Holy shit. If you ever wonder, like, why did Microsoft buy Rare? It's because they couldn't buy Nintendo. They yeah, wanted that worked out just that. as well, right? But, like, that's what they wanted. They wanted, they wanted the, like, the most iconic brands in gaming made by the most family friends, like... Who could give them more mass appeal than to own Nintendo at that time? Because even if Nintendo was on the ropes at the time, it didn't matter because they were, like, their brands were so strong that owning them was worth it. Yeah, and if you kind of look at the situation now, they they desperately need more, like, first-party franchises to sell their system. The thing about it is that Microsoft, like, I, I feel like to Microsoft, the Xbox itself is not super important, so much as the ability to build brand loyalty loyalty to Microsoft. Because the issue for them is that they're, the business that made them huge, like OSs and business software, gets you plenty of money, but you you have no floor for how many people will buy something you make. Yeah. Like, there, there is a brand loyalty floor that we have essentially seen for, like, Nintendo, and it's like, about 10 million units is the floor for how many systems that Nintendo can sell. Like, that's, like, people will buy it just because it's Nintendo, so I'm seeing. There is no, like, we don't know what a floor is for Microsoft like, divisions because, like, we've never seen them in a position where they're hurt, but, like, when they buy something like Minecraft, like, Minecraft was one of the canniest decisions they've made, and, like, buying that was huge. Because that essentially meant that they have some level of built-in brand loyalty for essentially an entire generation of children. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it is the biggest... It is still one of the biggest games among kids. There's a reason that they want it on every platform. They don't use it to try to sell Xboxes because it it's much more valuable to them if, other, if people associate Minecraft with Microsoft and associate good feelings with the Microsoft brand. Yeah, and I think it works, especially all the cross-platform stuff. Yeah, no. They actually released a statement about what a pleasure it is to work with other platforms. Mm. They're like, yeah, no, it was great. We got cross-platform online working with Nintendo real quick. They loved it. They've been a great partner. 
that's a that's that's another thing that's just kind of hilarious to watch playing out. But yeah, but yeah, like it's one of those things. Like it pays to ha- to capture the the like unconditional loyalty of an entire generation of children is super powerful. Mm. <laughs> those children will be buying games for the next like fifty years, and, and I, they will associate f- your brand with like an aura happiness. In, buried deep enough into their psyche that they can't really examine it themselves. Yeah. And for Nintendo, when they're selling you the platform and the games, they have a lot more control on what games you're going to end up buying, and, and what you will, what memories you will associate with that platform and exactly. that, with that company. Like there's a, there is a lot of like psychological cultural power in being the platform holder. It's it's crazy to think about like how like you know people don't like to think of themselves as affected by this kind of advertisement this kind of like cultural power but it's, you can't you cannot exist without being affected by this yeah. in some fashion your no man is an island unto himself I mean look how look how much people still talk about the stupid platform wars the console wars <laughs> Uh, like three seconds for a for a moment of silence slash rest in piss to NeoGaf, which was decapitated last night. As a uh, yeah, I'm. It's getting no silence for me. <laughs> yeah. No. Why do you think I didn't actually take any silence and just said rest in piss? <laughs> but yeah, no. Like, it it was fascinating to watch an entire board get decapitated all at once. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you, you look you look at anyone from the the, the console wars generation, and uh, the soul still burns. Yeah, you tell me the Sega Genesis is better than the Super Nintendo, and I still have a visceral <laughs> urge to like argue with you. <laughs> like I, I have accepted that that's a part of my psyche that will probably never go away. Well, what would you say if I said that the Dreamcast was a piece of shit? I wouldn't disagree because I would like I've already okay, made good. it clear I loved I, I was a Nintendo fan like if you tell me that like oh there aren't any good N64 games I will rattle off like 50 games at you hmm. well, I wouldn't do that I spent way too much playing the N64 I'd be a total hypocrite yeah no I just see a lot of uh, like <laughs> let me delve into this nerd psychosis but I see a lot of people like well, what do they do now? There's not enough N64 games to fill out an N64 classic, and it's like, I get that you're not what? nostalgic for it, but there's <laughs> definitely enough, buddy. <laughs> like, I understand this, yes, the system, the system's popularity was more based around party games and multiplayer games than its contemporaries, but that's not a bad thing. I do think it's it kind of fascinating. It doesn't make it worse. <laughs> I, I do think it's kind of fascinating that, like, of the three systems at the time, the N64 is the one that had to do the least fakery to make a 3D world. Yeah. Like, when you look at PS1 games that hold up, all of them have to do, like, extensive trickery to make uh, to make 3D seem like it's happening. Like, you do... Pre-rendered backgrounds are a really huge one. Like, almost every... Like, a lot of the... like. Big RPGs, they're all, like, all the big JRPGs used pre-rendered backgrounds. Resident Evil used it, like, Silent Hill, in order to get around using it, uses 
hideously extensive use of fog to make it so it's only ever drawing like five feet of polygons. <laughs> like, uh, Metal Gear Solid gets around it by virtue of the fact that it's primarily a 2D game. It's almost never rendering much more. Like, there's a lot of effort that has to be expended to create the, like, to work around the fact that those consoles generally weren't powerful enough to make a convincing 3D environment. And the N64, for all of its other shortcomings, is the is the one that is able to make, like, a foggy but convincing version of a 3D world. Yeah. You know, a lot of those, you can go back and try and play a lot of those PS1 games, and it's really hard. The ones that don't pretend to be, uh, th- that don't use extensive 2D to mask where the 3D fails are the ones that generally don't hold yeah. up. and a lot of Saturn games are even worse. Yeah, oh man, that thing was barely even... Like, the only reason it has 3D is that they realized they couldn't get away with not having 3D three-quarters of the way through <laughs> R&D. I'm still, like, there is so much about... Like, I want to just take a Sega, like, R&D guy and just ask him, you had an arcade division that was all about 3D games, and you made a, you made a piece of hardware for the home that wasn't meant to do t- 3D at all. Did you guys just not know each other existed, or... Like, there has to be some better explanation than... Dino, lol. <laughs> oh man, on a totally separate note, my daughter does the Sega jingle now. Sega! Like, from playing Sonic Mania, she goes, Sega! On the other hand, make sure that she's not exposed to the, like... I can't remember what games actually use the... The, the briefly used marketing scream, Sega! It's really awful sounding, but like some games actually use it in their openings, and it's just Ugh. like, why did you do this? Terrible. I do appreciate that the Sega bit takes up an eighth of the Sonic the Hedgehog one <laughs> cartridge. But you know, this is you know, this right here is a good example of why Nintendo is better as a first party because most of the Sega stuff we're talking about is from their days as a f- first party company. They they had to scale back the kinds of risks risks they could take when they went third party because it was like they were no longer in the business of selling hardware so they didn't need to make something that like showed like new aspects of hardware or like even just that shored up a part of their lineup that wasn't doing so hot or it just did something interesting and dangerous let me tell you about how like you can see all of those weird projects that are far enough along that they have to be released in some fashion go to die on the xbox real early on one of my favorites is uh, Gun Valkyrie, which is a game with a hideously compli- complicated control scheme because it's been ported to a controller it's obviously not meant to do. Because on Dreamcast, it was meant to be a game where you used the gun, like a light gun and a normal controller in complete tandem to play a jetpack. <laughs> to play a jetpack game. That sounds hilariously terrible, but at the same one time, awesome. I, one thing I always like contemplating. What do you think would have happened to attempts to port games to the Dreamcast after every other console came out with a second analog stick? <laughs> that would have been hilarious. Every single, uh, every single of its would-be competitors had more buttons and more analog sticks. It would have been heinous seeing some of the attempts to make those controls work, and I kind of wish we had gotten to see it. <laughs> Yeah, so that's uh, that's video games. It's a long answer that I not we kind of danced around the question a lot. 
Yeah. Uh, first party good. Third party I bad. Feel like, I feel like they would lose a lot of what makes them Nintendo if they yeah. went third party. I'm not saying it couldn't ever happen, but I don't. I don't think that people would like the results yeah. as much as they want to think they would. Yeah. I kept seeing calls for oh the 3ds is dying they're gonna do smartphone games only now which was very wrong the switch <laughs> seems to have allayed a lot of that yeah like, well i mean the 3ds is still going anyway the 3ds as it turns out is a successful platform and will continue to have games probably and, until about early 2019 and like the platform was strengthening as they were saying that and i'm just it just always confused me and their smartphone it's, games have been... It's just much wistful thinking because it's people want to like be able to just play a Nintendo game on their phone. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a novelty to have Nintendo games on the phone now, and they're different experiences, which I like. Like Fire, like stuff like Fire Emblem, Emblem Heroes and Pokemon Go. Th- those are like smartphone-specific things, which is... I'm, I'm glad they did, because I think... Probably a lot of us were worried they were just going to throw other random games on the phone. Oh, I never believed that. For it. <laughs> let me let me explain one of my favorite uh, things about this to me. Uh, one is just the fact that oh man, I'm getting a sore throat. This I'm going to be regretting this in the morning. Oh well. Uh, Apologies. One, it's fine. It's fine. I I might have just like my my family is sick. I might have just inherited it from that. Uh. But what I was going to say was one. I remember years ago when the idea of Nintendo making smartphone games was first floated, like, there was an investor who was really pumped about it because they thought it would just be Super Mario Brothers, and they also thought that there would be microtransactions in the style of pay ten, like, pay a dollar to make Mario jump higher so the game's easier. (laughs) And it was, like, the most hateful concept I had ever heard in my life, and just the worst thing in the world. But the other thing to me is that, like, and anytime I see someone being like, "Why is it like? Why aren't these like full Nintendo games?" And it's like these are ads. These ex- if you are satisfied with this experience and think you don't need more of the franchise it's based off of, then they yeah. have actually failed at their job. Like Super Mario Run is a full enough experience, but it is designed to make you wish that you were playing a more fully featured Mario game. Mm-hmm. And that's true of all of them. Like. Pokemon Go, like it's you can catch them, but you can't do any of the like fun things that you can like do in the games. Like you don't get the same sense of a journey or anything like that, and that's good because that doesn't work on smartphones. But it's also designed to make you wish that you could. Yeah, and it's designed to draw you back to the actual game they want you to be buying. And Fire Emblem Heroes, uh, there's lots of like interesting nuggets about the games those characters come from. Uh, although I think. A lot of that fan base is probably mostly pe- people who have played the franchise. Yeah, but but it's, but it's also like when they bring back an old Fire Emblem character in Fire Emblem Heroes, it's a way to tantalize people for remakes of old Fire Emblem games. Yeah, it's, and but yeah, if you're just maybe someone that picked it up and who hasn't played the franchise, it is absolutely a massive massive advertisement to go play some Fire Emblem games. Yeah, like and like they give you satisfying little bite-sized strategy battles, but they're not the. If you've played Fire Emblem and you want Fire Emblem, like you'll get a bit of it, but you won't get enough to really satisfy like the sense of like this is what a Fire Emblem game really makes my brain do. Yeah. 
So I, I think it's it's interesting. Like there, I think that's part of the reason we haven't seen the Animal Crossing game they announced is that there's probably some push pull about like, well, how much Animal Crossing do you include? Yeah. How do you make that satisfying and feel like Animal Crossing, but also draw you to want actual full Animal Crossing? So, I, I would imagine that's actually a really hard question to answer. I don't envy that. Yeah, team. and I think they had to do a lot of that for their existing games. And I wonder if they're still doing that because, you know, I keep, you know, I keep asking when are they going to have like player versus player features in Pokemon Go, and maybe the answer is never for that very reason. Yeah, because, like, that's one of the big things of Pokemon, is that, like, oh, like, Pokemon... I, I like catching Pokemon, but there's not as much to do with them in Go, and it's like, well, if you played the full game, you could do all these things that you feel like you should be able to do with your Pokemon. Yeah, and it, it's funny, you look at the sales of the 3DS games after Pokemon Go was big hit, and they, they were... Spiked. They spiked! <laughs> like, even... Like, Pokemon XY... Which were not even the most recent games. Yeah, but it was just like, like they don't care which Pokemon game you bought, so long as you bought a new one. Yeah, and I haven't really looked at the sales, but uh, no doubt Sun Moon were a huge success. Yeah, I'm, I will probably pick up Ultra Moon. I certainly will, even though I haven't gotten around to finishing Moon. No, it seems like it's basically an upgraded version rather than a like sequel, so. At this point, it was one of those things where I put off picking up Moon, so now I should just pick up Ultra Moon. Yeah. I just wish I'm really ready for Pokemon Switch. Yeah. The, the tantalizing, like, Gen 8 Pokemon will be on the Switch, essentially. Yeah, for me, that will be mostly so I ha have a Pokemon game I can play on the TV and the kids can watch. I'm sure they, they will love that, but it'll also be a thing... Like, that's really convenient for Pokemon, because, like, essentially... Like, well, one, no one ever has to ask them to make a Pokemon RPG on a console again. They finally did it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, like, it's perfect. Like, they never have to think about, like, people saying that they want, like, a stadium again. Because it's like, no, the game is already stadium. Yeah. You can play it on your TV. You don't have to worry about a transfer pack. We don't have... Oh, yeah, speaking of insane peripherals you can only make when you're a first party. <laughs> the transfer Remember pack? Remember the transfer packs? I do. I had one at some point. Yeah, yeah. I think there's like one other non-Pokemon game that uses it. <laughs> I think I. I'm exaggerating. I think yeah. there's like five. I think I got it because I was like, well, I 100%ed Pokemon Red, and now I want to preserve my Pokemon. Like if you picked it up on, if you picked it up on, picked up Pokemon Stadium on 64, you had one. Yeah. There's more, there's more of these than I thought. There's Chorokyu. Uh. Jikyo, Jikyo Powerful Pro Yaku. Uh, Mario Artist for some reason. Mario Golf. Mario Tennis. Mickey Speedway USA, the completely forgotten rare, uh, rareware frickin' kart racer on N64. Bet you didn't remember that happened. I do not. Let's see, uh... Ultraman Battle Collection 64. I forgot there was a perfect dark Game Boy Color. Apparently it used that. <laughs> uh, Pokemon Stadium, Pokemon Stadium 2, Puyo Puyo and Party, uh, Robot Ponkotsu 64, Super Bidaman, 
uh, Battle Phoenix 64, Super Robot Wars 64, and Transformers Beast Wars for some reason. Huh. There was a Game Boy Beast Wars game? Yeah, although I'm not sure it came out in English. Oh. My, chi like my child self is disappointing. Beast Wars, uh, Beast Wars did get dubbed into Japanese, but apparently it turned like it apparently tried to turn it more into a comedy. That's deeply confusing and saddening because that show was awesome. There's a the the interrelation between Transformers in America and Transformers in Japan is really fascinating because Transformers in Japan was like a bunch of like also ran toy lines that got subsumed into one toy line. <laughs> and then, like, brought to America, and then there are some shows that were that were made in America, and then exported back into Japan. And there's like, they have different continuities, but like, they're all transform. It's really strange. It's really Weird. strange. That reminds uh, me of the Power Rangers series because I did not realize until recently that all those shows all use <laughs> footage from nice. Japanese shows. Every single knockoff you saw of, Super, of Power Rangers was licensing a different weird old Japanese Sentai show. So, like, if you saw, like... Oh, man, some of these have really bad names. I'm going to see if I can find some of these while you say things about Power Rangers. Yeah, what that... So, obviously, I've been watching a lot of Power Rangers with my kid, but while just looking up some information on the series, just for the heck of it... Uh, out of curiosity, I, you know, read the thing about, oh, you know, these shows use stock footage from such and such a show. It's, uh, what, what's the name of the Japanese show again? Super Sentai. Super Sentai, yeah. And that was, like, shocking to me. Shocking, but at the same time, it's like, oh, okay, this all makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, like, it, like, it makes a lot more, like, it explains a lot about the way the shows are produced. Yeah. And a lot of like the weird scenery that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and uh, Rita's voice being obviously dubbed. Yeah, it's a lot like more real sense. obvious. But the like the thing that's really fascinating about original Power Rangers is the amount of money that they spent when they realized how big it was, because they were afraid that kids wouldn't go for like new suits, so they commissioned more footage of an old Sentai show. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, like, like they, they took, like, Zoo Ranger, the one that they were using, Zoo Ranger, like, they commissioned a bunch more footage of it. <laughs> and they and they did the movie, obviously. <laughs> yeah, like, the movie, which originally was going to look even less like the show. It already looks way different, but it was yeah. originally going to look even less. But also, like, so like all of villain, all of the villains from seasons two and three, of, uh, yeah no, all the villains from seasons two and three of, uh, original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers are all original creations by Saban. <laughs> so like Lord Zed doesn't exist in Super Sentai. But yeah, looking at this, you had uh, things like. Uh, Big Bad Beetleborgs, which is really so, bad and adapted from Juko B-Fighter. So wait, you so that means they had to do... So Lord Zed's original to Power Rangers, so all the scenes with Rita and Lord Zed were all brand new specific for yeah, yeah. Power Rangers? They, that's crazy. They do, a, they do a thing where she like gets a makeover, and that's why they how they explain her changing actresses. Oh, I didn't even realize they changed ac actresses. It, is it the same... It's the same... Uh, voice doing the dub though right yeah it's still the same okay. voice 
But That's yeah, crazy. No. <laughs> but yeah, like fun fun fact, uh, the Green Ranger in Zoo Ranger just dies. <laughs> Other fun fact, uh, the White Ranger is from an entirely different Sentai. That's funny. <laughs> I believe he is from the successor show Die Ranger, where I believe he is also a child. But uh, man, I feel bad for the writers of the Power Rangers having to work around all that. Like that must have been nuts trying. Oh to hey, one of our one of our what I assume was one of the most popular characters. Has to be gone there's now so because the little, character died. Because there's so little footage of him. There's so little. So like they they have to do all sorts of writing gymnastics to try to keep him going. But yeah, I'm trying to remember if this one has like my personal favorite as far as like Power Rangers knockoff knockoffs is one that like they just like no we don't need footage from japan we'll just make our own complete nonsense and so they made something called tattooed teenage alien fighters from beverly hills <laughs> what? it's like the worst tv show you've ever seen in your life uh, i remember I, I like i would watch a lot of these as a child because i dug power rangers and i wanted more of it so i watched yeah. terrible things like superhuman samurai cyber squad yeah, I really love Power Rangers, and I still enjoy it now watching it with my kid. And I don't really know why. It's for just those fun. curious, for those curious, Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad is based on Denko Chojin Gridman. <laughs> huh. But yeah, like it's like it. Sentai is one of those things that like it's, it's like, like good campy fun, I guess. It's like watching it's like watching a comic book that's not trying to appeal to adults. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, no, like this is just the these kids are going to have like a are going to have a silly like kid problem that like involves superheroes for some reason. They're going to beat up some monsters that are like there's going to be some fun martial arts and then like they'll uh, we'll all learn a lesson. <laughs> yeah. And there's no there's like no logic to a lot of things like, oh, how did all these people learn to drive crazy mechs? Doesn't matter. Rad. Yeah. Totally rad. Buy our also, toys. Also, bonus points. Uh, bonus points. Buy my book. Buy my book. But bonus points for the uh, the existence of Ninjor in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers <laughs> Season 3, who sounds suspiciously like Dudley Do-Right. Ninja. It's really strange looking, but yeah, Ninja is great. I love that, like, it, like it, one of the things that I feel like is surprising, it never even bothered me as a child, that the, the Power Rangers movie could not be made to fit in continuity with the Power Rangers show. <laughs> like, Ninja is brought in to explain their ninja powers in season three, completely ignoring the fact that the movie had happened. <laughs> the other best thing about Power Rangers is Bulk and Skull. Yes, absolutely. I appreciate that they went from being bullies to being good people. That was, that's that's a good lesson to teach children. <laughs> I honestly believe this. Yeah, definitely. Man, I, like I could talk about Power Rangers for hours. We need to move on. Uh, I was gonna say how long, so. How long did they keep like the original characters? How many seasons? Okay, so depends on how many you're counting. Just so, so let's just say, original characters. Let's just say the suits. 
So like the original suits, the original never mind suits, who's in them. The original suits are all the way through season three, which compri- which in total comprises nearly 180 episodes. Damn. Like 60 episodes per season. Crazy numbers. Because that's got to be way more than the shows after it. Yeah, no, after that, it, it like, it doesn't make sense to, like, keep... Like, they know that they can convince kids to keep... Oh, that was another thing that they ran into with when they were using the Z, the Z Ranger stuff. It's like, part of the part of the joy of this was that they were going to... They could just import the toys from last year that they had remaindered and sell those. <laughs> and then, like, Power Rangers was more popular than anything and, like, probably more popular than Z Ranger ever was, so... Suddenly... <laughs> This is a shockingly, insanely intelligent and ridiculous money-making operation they have going. No, on like here. they were—they've tr- been trying to do that for years. They couldn't convince us. They could not convince anyone to air it. <laughs> but they—they they had been trying to sell the idea of essentially we will recut some American footage into these Japanese into the fight scenes from Super Sentai, and we will write a new story around it, and we will sell that like. Originally, it was supposed to end 40 episodes in. Doomsday happens. Like, this show is over. Like, it reaches kind of an ending, and, like, it, you never have to worry about it again. We've sold off the remaining remaining Zoo Ranger toys, and, like, it's cheap and a cheap and easy payday for everyone. Then, wait, no, this is super popular. Order 20 more episodes this season, order a bunch more Zoo Ranger footage, and make, like, another two 60 episode seasons. And then eventually we get to make a movie. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, you, and then, like, they, they, there's an actual ongoing continuity up through Power Rangers in space. Uh, and, and there's... No, wait. Power Rangers in the Lost Galaxy, the follow-up to In Space, does technically deal with the direct aftermath. It's not until the eighth season that they completely, like... The new Rangers seem to have nothing to do with the old ones. There's no direct reference to the existence of prior ones until there's a crossover episode. Yeah. And then... My first... There is the, um, what the hell's name? It's Power Rangers Super Mega Force, where... Oh, yeah, they had a lot of Japanese source footage, because that was a, for Super Sentai, that was a milestone season. Okay, yeah, so that's the one where they can change into all the old Power Rangers. Yeah. Which is, like, which is a little there, weird. There were, there were... There were people on the Power Rangers staff that were very interested in keeping in mind that, like, yes, we remember all these old seasons, so, like, the, one of the craziest things to me was that in the tenth season they did they did a special episode called Forever Red. Oh, I've actually watched that one. <laughs> yeah, and that's just all previous Red Rangers are yeah. all in, and it's not. There's no old footage. There's nothing they can do. Like it, it's an incredibly expensive episode, and Disney Disney's response to them was flatly, "Why are you advertising old toys?" <laughs> But, like, I, I appreciate, like, that's also why Forever Red's ending is really stupid. Like, even by Power Rangers standards, because it's riding a motorcycle through a giant space snake and killing it instantly. <laughs> because they ran out of money. And, essentially, they couldn't get, they could not get Disney to pay for another, to finish the episode. So they went to Bondi, and Bondi was like, we will pay the costs of you finishing this episode if you will advertise the hell out of this motorcycle toy. <laughs> Oh my god. But yeah, like they kept doing those episodes where they would bring back like one of my favorite like to bring this roundabout back to RPGs. Uh, a voice a voice that I have been following off and on for much of my life. Uh one Johnny Young Bosch. Yes. The original the one the second Black Ranger. 
the second black Mighty Morphin Power Ranger. Not actually, not black in real life, but the second ranger who wears the black outfit. He's he's the one in the movie. Is that correct? Yes, he is okay. the one in the movie. But uh, Johnny Young Bosch is came back for like the fifteenth season <laughs> as like a one-off, like for a one-off episode, just because why not? That's but, awesome. Uh, I'm gonna have to. Yeah. I'm gonna have to find that episode. Yeah, no, it's it's worth. I think it's called like Once a Ranger. It's good stuff. Yeah. No, the Power Rangers is fun. I nice. believe by that point they were also filming in New Zealand. So. Yeah, I was looking at that. They started. I can definitely tell in some of the recent shows. Like my son's been watching uh, uh, Dino Charge. Yeah. Uh, but the one we just started watching recently, which is the most recent one, Ninja Steel. Yeah. Is a lot of fun just because the the special effects are a lot more modern. Uh, the other thing I was going to say was uh, I appreciate that uh, Power Rangers... There, there's a... You could, if you really wanted to, given the amount of outfits that he wore, you could make a Ranger team that was nothing but Tommy. <laughs> you, you would have two Red Rangers, I believe. But yes, you could, like... He's the Green Ranger, he's the White Ranger, he's the Red Ranger at least... Uh, I believe two times, and he's the Black Ranger in Dino Thunder, I think? Uh, are you serious? He's yeah. in Dino Thunder? Yeah, he came back, he's like Professor Tommy Oliver, and he's back, and like, he's the Black Ranger for some reason. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it's really good, it's really good. We've been For, for like that whole now. show? Yeah, I believe so. Oh, Wow. But yeah, that's a, that's a five ranger team. If you don't mind that two of them are red rangers. No, I'm gonna have to check one check that one out now because my son would get a kick out of that too. But yeah, but yeah, let's let's move on to do one more, do another right. question. And uh, just to close it off, I really want to play that uh, Power Rangers RPG. Well, it's not truly a Power Rangers RPG, but Power Rangers ish RPG Chroma Squad. Oh, Chroma Squad's so. really neat. I need to check that out. It's also almost always on sale on Steam, so... Definitely going to check that out. But anyway, um, moving on, we have a question Strawberry Eggs, uh, which is... <laughs> this is going to bring us back to Power Rangers. I'm sorry. Yes! Uh, the comment we have an excuse now. <laughs> the comment about Adventure Time Muso made me think of a Steven Universe one. Muso's not, not that good a fit for the show, but it might still be neat to see. Um, like Muso is uh, interesting because it's a brand, it's a style that can fit almost anything that has action elements in it. Yeah, like Power Rangers. <laughs> I'm I'm still kind of shocked that there's no Sentai Muso. Yeah, how is that? That's it seems like a massive missed opportunity. It seems like a really easy like the only thing that would be difficult to implement, but like that would be an obvious like way to add some gimmick to it is adding in the like the mecha fights, the Zords. Yeah. Like once you once you add like you add that gimmick, it gives the game like some uniqueness that like makes it stand out from its horde of brethren. Yep, and that could be super cool. You can do if you're gonna base it on Power Rangers specifically. You can do a bunch of bring back a bunch of old characters and like they did for that one downloadable Power Rangers game. They also did that for a PS2 Power Rangers game called Super Legends. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. Um, I, I really like the idea of an Adventure Time Muso. 
just more yeah. Adventure Time games because Mom, grab your friends. That really seemed to fall apart once um, Way Forward wasn't making those games anymore. Remember when Way Forward made Link to the Past but Adventure Time? That was rad. Yeah, that was really cool. And then we got some other company making a Adventure Time adventure game, which was okay, but just okay. I, think that, I see that in Bargain Bins a lot. I think it's called Finn and Jake Investigate. Yeah. Seems, it doesn't seem like it fits the style, but... You should pick it up. It's pretty good. It's got some It's got some good dialogue. Um, but yeah, it, just definitely pick it up from the Bargain Bin. <laughs> Um, Vicious Cycle Software. But anyway, going on to Strawberry's actual question, she says, Anyway, a question in Fire Emblem Echoes. A few of the characters were voiced by American actors who are usually based in Texas rather than California. I thought this might have been a one-off thing for the sake of variety, but as it turns out, some of, the, some of these same actors have been showing up in more RPGs and other video games. Caitlin Glass, who voices... Um... Mathilda, Matilda, Matilda in Echoes was also in Tales of Zestiria, Xenoblade Chronicles X, and some Street Fighter games. In one case, the actor Chris Patton, Cliff uh, from Fire Emblem Echoes, moved from Texas to Los Angeles, but it's not the case for Caitlin and Monica Rael Mila. Monica Rael, yeah. Do you know anything about the logistics of getting actors from one part of the country to voice in a different studio? Do you think this will keep happening? We've all joked about the same dozen or so LA actors showing up in every RPG, but in the last five years they've added a lot of new blood. Perhaps having some veteran anime actors not normally heard in video games is just another step. Uh like I I've heard occasional chatter about like the kind of expense that it is to like voice actors don't really have a lot of choice to turn down a payday, but like a lot of times I think that a lot of studios have historically been reluctant to pay for their expenses to be flown out to record things. So, like, I this is I am absolutely out of my depth on this discussion. <laughs> like, I would imagine that, like, the it's going to depend in part on how much the like localiza- localization departments can make it clear to higher ups that like. Like people get, people prefer having like a wider variety, or like people will like the game more if we fly in someone we think will like is better suited to the role, or like will give our cast more variety, that sort of thing. But I think it's also like it's also based on the fact that a lot of voice acting, I think, is recording is contracted out to like a handful of studios. So because like I know that that ha- that that's like. Capcom constantly replaces voice actors when, like, they want to have a game out by a certain point, and they don't think that, like, or, like, they're, they've contracted their voice work out to another studio. Like, I remember people being confused in, spoilers for Resident Evil 7, uh, near the end, you, you see Chris Redfield, and, like, it's not clear, like, a lot of people were like, is that actually Chris Redfield? He looks different, and he sounds different, because his voice actor is not the same. And it's like, yeah, well, they contracted out to another company, and that company did not have like a working like did not bring back Roger Craig Smith and so oh well <laughs> and it's just one of those things where like it it's partly how much the company thinks like how much these companies are starting to take seriously the idea that like bringing in specific voice actors to fit certain roles is important 
And also just, like, the idea that, like, these are people that need to be paid an actual wage. <laughs> yeah. Some of that's going to be going to come out of the wash during the peer- during the current, like, SAG discussions about video game voice acting and contracts relating to it. And I wonder if some of the recent New Blood might just be paying for cheaper actors, as maybe some of the voices we heard a lot became more expensive. Or even just, like, decided that, like, they had other things that they could do that would... Being a voice actor is not a profitable job. Yeah. In the main. Yeah. Especially if, like, you're living out in, like, L.A., where, like, the cost of living is super high, but also, uh, you're, uh, you know, being paid a hideous, like, a hideous sum, a a paltry sum, for having done a bunch of voice work. I did yeah. hear a dust up about East 8's localization and like them wanting to redub with the new localization and one of the lead voice actors being like, I don't want to come back for this. <laughs> and the, the like, this is a game of telephone. I didn't verify this myself, but the story I had heard was that he had, he had voiced the game. He had had to do the voice acting while sick because they had to get the game out. So like, okay, you're doing the voice sick. And he's like, I can't make my voice sound like I do when I'm sick. I can't make it sound consistent from line to line. I don't want to damage my voice trying. Mm. What a mess that he's ate localization. Uh, yeah. It just gets worse and worse. It's a shame. But yeah, apparently uh, even the voice actors for East 8 are like, can, can we just work with X Seed next time? <laughs> yes, please. But yeah, that also leads me to think that maybe, just maybe, uh, Exceed might treat voice actors a little better. And that might that might also be a thing, that like some companies are starting to be more prone to treating voice actors well. Hopefully. I would like that. If, if a company is obviously treating voice actors well, I will be more willing to patronize them. Like, if there's a yeah, game I'm same. on the fence on, but are like, you, treated, you treat your personnel well, I might be more willing to go straight, to go in for it, because it's like, yeah. I want to support people that do good practice in the business. Yeah. <laughs> Voice acting is hard work, and unless you're a, one of the main cast of The Simpsons, you're probably not making a ton of money doing it. Oh, sucks. yeah, like, that's that's the big exception. It's been, like, <laughs> I, I remember once looking up how much they make per episode. And, like, I, I don't like, want to look I, I don't. I don't think I could spend enough to make that go away. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, you know, good on them. They It's... In a in an industry where you probably where you're normally just going to do as much work as possible, and now they can just now they can just be the Simpsons forever. Yeah, and I mean I don't want to make it sound like they don't like necessarily deserve that money because those are some incredible Orton. voice actors. Uh, but yeah, just these are really good really good actors and actresses uh, that deserve more than they'll probably ever make, unfortunately. Yeah. <sighs> but, yeah. No, it's it's important. I think it's an underrated aspect. Like, there, there's always the people that are like, no, I don't want to listen to the to the bad American voice acting. It's like, these people really work <laughs> at it, and they do a good job. They yeah. do good work. Yeah, oh, that, 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 that always really annoys me. Really annoys me. Yeah. Like, I can understand, like, even if I won't agree, I can understand wanting to listen to the to the Japanese voice work, but 
please don't disparage the English. Like, yeah. like obviously, like dubs that obviously a lot of work went into and a lot of people put a lot of. T- yeah, that's, that's a different rant. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna say any more to not go down that road more, but yeah. It's it's a long rabbit hole. We could go down there a long time. Yeah. And really, American voice acting has been good for a long time. Like going way back to like. Um, I would say late PS2 era. It's pretty much become the the rule that like there will at least be good. There will be at least pretty good voice yeah. acting. Tales of Symphonia. Really it's think great of the Tales movie. game here. Tales of the Abyss. Tales of the Abyss. Dot hack GU had a great dub. Final Fantasy XII. Oh, fantastic! Dragon <laughs> Quest Eight. Yep. And which is a brilliant, a brilliant one to point out since that was not even there in the original release. Yep, it was it was it was um, English voice acting or nothing. Yeah, like it's it's a it's it's an un, like the the people doing these dubs are already pro- often being underpaid and treated not so great. Please don't also shit on the work they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Support your local voice actors. Seriously. <sighs> now, random thought. I want, I want a future, Futurama RPG, dubbed by the thinking, original cast. Thinking a lot about. So I can give that cast some more money. As I still miss that show dearly. <laughs> anyway, um, next question, which isn't a question, from Victor. Great show as always, but the audio balance was off. One co-host was so quiet, I had to turn up the volume on computer all the way up to understand what he was saying. Then a musical interlude played, uh, and with the volume up, the music was so loud it hurt my ears. Ouch. Apologies, Victor. I will uh, do a better job editing in the future or at Sorry. the very least <laughs> provide a warning if a loud music interlude is coming but ideally we'll just yeah. that, that just shouldn't happen again at no, least I, the music I mean problem. I usually turn the music down a lot to uh, make sure it's not too loud um, but this past this past episode we were using new recording software and I didn't really so what I normally do is, you know, when recording, we get like a stereo, a stereo audio file output with my voice. I'm sure the audience is all about this. <laughs> well, I, I just think it might be interesting to point out, and like yeah. the audio from the Skype call itself on another half of it, and then I merge them into one, one uh, like mono file, because otherwise you'd be hearing like. Me in one of your ears and Dave in your other ear, which would you don't probably want that. that would be weird. Yeah, really weird. Anyway, so I didn't check to make sure his voice was loud enough before doing that merge, whereas I could have like turned the volume up there. And so yeah, I f I effed up. We we believe in your capacity. Yes, you believe my capacity to not be lazy editing. Believe in but, your own justice. But really, it was new audio software, and I was kind of u- used to how how the file turned out from the other software, and yeah, obviously not the case. So I will 
be more careful editing this episode, and hopefully, assuming you're listening to it this far in, it's worked out. So, all right. And we have one last question from Budai. Uh, do you feel there is any danger in companies not localizing something if they feel customer customers will find local localization subpar? I'm asking in reference to uh, NIS America apologizing for ETH8 localization. Um, I don't think so. And I'm saying that specifically thinking of the Sword Art Online games that had notoriously bad localization. People just kept buying them. Yeah, and this is notoriously bad localization in the before it came out in America and they had released an English version in Asia. And they basically... It, like, literally looks machine translated. Yeah. And pretty much, you know, we assumed that it was going to have that same thing when it came out in America, and it basically did, and, well, we're still getting Sword Art Online games, so... Like the, Sword Art Online has somehow never stopped. But yeah, I don't think... Like, there is bad... There, like, Sword Art Online is buoyed up by being a popular license... But on the other hand, it's one of those things where it's like, if people want to play something, they will take the version of it that they can read over the version they can't, even if the version they can read badly. So I don't think there's probably much risk of them being like, unless they honestly think it won't sell. Like, they, they, like, I don't, I don't really see much risk in that. I think it's more likely that, like, You'll see cost-benefit analyses that end up with games that end up getting cheap localizations like Sword Sword Art Online because of that fact. And if a game is really good, it often shines through any bad localization. We've seen that with a lot of older JRPGs that are beloved classics despite bad or mediocre localizations. Despite being nearly unreadable. Yeah, so it doesn't really seem to matter. You know, if the game is good, it's good, and it'll resonate with people, and... Uh, you know, if some people are scared away because of a bad localization, I'm sure the people that do play it will talk them into it, or at least attempt to talk them into it. So, yeah, it doesn't does not seem like that's the case. That's, All right. Yeah, it does not really seem like it's going to scare any companies off from localizing stuff. And I mean, in in this specific case, I feel like companies will clamor to get the next East game and talk about how they're going to do a much better job. Yeah. And hopefully they'll just send it to XSeed anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please, Falcom. Please. You've you've been burned once. Please. Oh man, I was just looking at the thread. Or at, or at least Axis, who seemed to do a fine job with uh, Tokyo yeah, Sanity. Axis is good. Axis is a fine second string. Yeah. But I mean, like, I don't know that anyone can love Falcom as much as Exit does as a collector. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. But, uh... I think man, I just looked at... <laughs> I was just looking at the sidebar next to the next to the thread where we're getting all the questions from and just saw, like, Star Ocean Last Hope Remastered <laughs> and I'm still pissed off. Uh, well, I still think it's a better game than 3. Yeah, but, you know, I still hate it. 
did you did you play the remaster of three? No, I've not played it yet. I haven't. Okay. I don't have budget for things I hate. I barely have a budget for things I like. I was gonna say that I would have to take take the bullet on playing the remaster of this one. Like, dude, if you wanna if you wanna have the if you wanna do that dance, we'll do that dance. That sounds like a terrible idea. I should probably. Also, I probably, sounds like a thing we'll do. I should probably just finish five and leave it at that. How about instead we we do a lot of we spend a lot of time playing dot hack gu last recode. Well, yeah, that definitely. Oh, that God, comes that's out, out like, soon. That's two weeks or so. Oh my God! It comes out in real early November, dude. That's that's got to be the week. I believe that comes out literally like a week from Tuesday. Uh, it can't be because that's Halloween. A week from Tuesday is Halloween. Yes. I thought Tuesday was the twenty. Oh, it's the twenty-fourth. Okay. Yeah. So it's probably the week after that, unless it comes out on a Friday. Show all the yeah. games are doing now. I'm gonna hold on. Hold on. I know we're like at the end of the episode, but this no, is important. To this me. is incredibly important, listeners. Incredibly okay. important. Last recode comes out on November third. November third. So that is a week after Mario Odyssey. Yeah, it's, it comes out on a Friday for some reason. I'm cool with that. Oh, man. I'm going... But, yeah, I play the hell out of that. My wife isn't working that weekend, which means I can play that till, like, 3 in the morning. Nice. That is awesome. Oh, what a world we live in. There's too many games. Ah, uh, yes. But, yeah, Odyssey, Odyssey... <laughs> In, in reality, though, I will be playing. I will be playing freaking Last Recode strapped into VR helmet hell. Oh god, I forgot and about possibly that. Streaming and possibly streaming some of that as well. <laughs> Enjoy, listeners. I can't wait to. Even though I have to replay part one, I am still looking forward to that. Oh man! Like it's it's absolutely like part one is worth playing always, and I'm really excited yeah. to see what part four brings. I'm gonna I'm gonna be perfectly honest, and this is how much I want to support this game. I'm buying the disc, and then I'm immediately buying the digital version. It's such a good game. It's like such a good the, game. I I am gonna double buy that game. Please and purchase. no no you cannot have my disc. It's my disc. Good. It's my disc. It's my collectible. <laughs> Stay away from my disc. It's the last recode. He could never get another one. I, I sold my PS2 copies to get that disc. Damn it. Yeah, I, yeah. Might, not, I might not actually those buy were, the digital version were... right away anyway. Yeah, well, the digital version will never go away. The yeah. disc, though. But yeah, like... <laughs> it's really good, guys. Please... Please support it. I'm yeah. I'm a huge mark for Dot Hack, but GU is legitimately great. So good. And like this is finally a cheap way to get it. It's available on PS4 and Steam. Like, and hey, the animes are still relatively cheap, I believe. Assuming Funimation is still selling them. Yeah, like Roots is not the greatest anime in the world, but it's solid. It's, it's mostly uh uh. What the hell's the name of the good one? Signs. No, oh, sign is sign is interesting yeah. because like 
sign is like completely divorced from anything you'll see in GU, but it's like a really contemplative show. It, yeah. Like it's it's a lot of sitting around and wondering why are people playing this MMO? What yeah. what is everyone here for? What are they it's, trying to get away from in their it's life? It's really good. Yeah, it's surprisingly good. Most game adaptation anime are not so great, but partially yeah. because this is not directly adapting a game. <laughs> That's so good. It's also got a really good soundtrack. Yeah. But yeah, mostly Sign and Roots. Pick those up. Yeah, the other anime you can safely skip. Yeah. But, uh, uh, good stuff, good stuff. Yeah. Alright, so we're going to wrap this show up. Obviously, there's going to be lots of stuff we're playing in the near future, but uh, we're going to try and avoid... Um, a repeat of the time between these two shows uh, but obviously something like Destiny was considering how much I talked about the original on the show as you know uh, there was no way it was not going to distract me for quite a while but as is a new game and does not have as much content as the original Destiny uh, we're entering into the full s- the first lull so uh, we'll try to we'll try to hit something there before Thanksgiving when I have a yeah. long vacation. Yeah, so I will not be playing it uh, as obsessively as I have been the past month until the expansion. And yeah, which could be a while. So. Yeah, and obviously as content builds up, it's gonna get bad. But um, you know, we destiny we survived one destiny. Yeah, we'll survive another. destiny one. I played for three years and eight hundred hours or so. So oh, that's we'll be a okay. terrifying number. I think it's 830 hours. That's Oh, please stop t- saying things. And I'm <laughs> sure I'll really go back to mess around with it at some point for nostalgia's sake. Listeners, when I when, before we started this podcast, he was contemplating buying it on another platform, seemingly just to have an excuse to play it again. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it was really concerning. Well, I mean, it got really good. Like, so... It was a lot of fun to play with friends originally, but after the first really big expansion, the Taken King, completely reworked a lot about the game. It was just, it was so good, so good. <laughs> uh, and yeah, this this one had a much smoother launch, obviously. But yeah, like the first one, there's a lot to tweak and fix before it reaches uh, the likes of Destiny one. Which is both still, exciting okay. and frightening. I'm still like, I, I can't think of Destiny 2 without thinking, oh yeah, the director of that, the guy I remember ranting about video games on 1UP Yours back in 2006. I don't remember. who. who? He, he, Luke Smith, who directed this game, was the news editor at 1UP.com in 2006. Really? Yeah. That's shocking. That's bizarre to think about. Yeah. Yeah, Bungie. A hot mess that somehow has a long history of making really good games. Just go read that uh, Waypoint uh, yeah. World History of Halo. Yeah. Just do it. It's, it's a really fascinating. And you'll realize that uh, Mr. O'Donnell, the quote-unquote music guy at Bungie, <laughs> was way more than that. Than that. <laughs> He was kind Not that of. The composer isn't already important, but he did a lot of stuff. Wore many hats. He was kind of the beating heart of Bungie for, like, the entirety of their Microsoft years. It looks like. Yeah. 
And it's still fascinating to look at that and realize, oh, they basically wanted out of Microsoft the second they got there. None of us wanted to live in Seattle for some reason. <laughs> but yeah, it's just fascinating. Like it at the time when they first announced, you know, they were splitting off, it seemed like it did it didn't really seem like something that uh, had been in the works for that long. But And it hadn't. <laughs> yeah. Did it hurt you? Did it hurt you when they left? No, I loved it. No, no, but, I mean in in the sense of like you were a Mac guy, man. Oh no, I'm talking about when they um when they left Microsoft and went independent again. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just talking about like did, did it hurt you when they went to Microsoft? Oh yeah, it was awful. It was awful. Worst day of your life. And then I got an Xbox. And, I, so and I was just, it was actually Christmas, I'm just like, I told my parents, and I told my dad, who was a Mac guy too, and kind of understood this, like, you know, buy it used. Soft, soften the, bol- the blow to my brain. <laughs> At least Microsoft didn't buy it. Yeah. I didn't get my... But yeah, it all worked out. It all worked out, and I also kind of hate Apple now, so... Everything so turned. now it's just Linux all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm turning into the Linux nerd, okay. but n- but not really because I still love Macs. I j- I just hate Apple really. <laughs> it's a dark. This is a hard life to live. A lot of cognitive <laughs> dissonance goes on here. Yeah. Let's 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 talk about how back in the day we all want all us Mac addicts wanted Apple to be successful because it was the best. And then when they got there, it and was like... And the monkey's paws fingers curl <laughs> yes. over? <laughs> yes. <laughs> someone, wished that, someone wished for this to happen with the monkey's paw, and, and now we are re- reaping the results. <laughs> Ugh. <sighs> God damn it. <sighs> anyway, alright. Episode ending or something? What What was I doing? Yeah. Uh, I guess we... Yeah, so we will see you next time. Send questions, forums, etc. That hack. Neither of us will have died. Uh, that hack. Um... EA bad. Um, did I miss anything? Uh, by Yakuza. By Yakuza. Um, Fire Emblem cool. Etrian Odyssey cool. Um, Partners in Time bad. Oh yeah, real bad, real bad. Breath of Fire uh, Dragon Quarter good. You can send us questions via the thread or via any other way you can think of to contact us. He is on Twitter at AskWheels. I'm as at FanboyMaster. My account is currently like locked, but if you like send me a follow request, I probably won't think too much about it and just approve you. So anything else? Not that I can think of. Alright. That's all folks. We will see you next time and enjoy um you know what? I'm just going to put Jump Up Superstar as the beginning and end. So, so yeah, good. enjoy that. Jump with me, grab coins with me. Oh, yeah. It's time to jump up in the air.
Just one.